0: today on chase wildly it's great to welcome back my father gary nelson for part two we tiptoe a bit further into things that we've never talked about something that with my father felt very challenging i think for both of us at times and i hope you find some value or inspiration in this conversation some reflection of your own relationship with your father or father figures in your life we talk about how he evaluates people who come into his life, the nature of intuition, and how he defines hurt. Let's go.
1: ready. Okay. Let's go then. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about either our relationship or pattern interviewing or both. And if it's outside of those boundaries, it's off the table. Is that true? I don't know. I'm asking. No, we can go anywhere you want to go. This is your podcast. I am the recipient of your questions. That's great. Well, let's start with this idea of pattern
0: interviewing. You utilize this idea. You, you pulled it together from different sources when you were working in human resources. And why don't you say a little bit about what it is? Because I think it speaks to this idea of transition, this question of how we find ourselves in moments of change in our life and how, and potentially it could be a tool for how we use those moments to create
1: the change we want in our own lives. So what what is pattern interviewing? A little background, pattern interviewing was first developed uh, it, right after World War II by the US government and government agencies. And since that time, it's been adopted by the private sector as well. Pattern interviewing in its simplest form is looking at an individual's habits Patterns and characteristics in the past and using those patterns as a predictor of the future. So you basically look at an individual's experiences and uh, values and characteristics and traits. And once that profile is established based upon their background, their life, you use those characteristics and traits as a predictor of what will happen in the future. You mentioned change. Change is very difficult for people to uh, adopt and uh, actually make happen in their lives. There are a few fairly traumatic experiences that really enable or open people up to change. One is death, divorce, And third is termination or abrupt change in your employment situation. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of events open people up to more willingly accept or look at change. Absent those, then it's typical that people's habits and patterns will continue as they have been. So basically that's what pattern interviewing is about, looking at or asking questions that will define those traits and patterns and using those going forward. What is it about
0: those from your perspective that creates change in the individual that allows change or creates change, those types of events, those types of traumas?
1: Um, Well, I mentioned death or divorce. And for example, a very, a loved one, a child, a spouse, a, a close relative or friend, Those traumas, those losses create an openness in the minds of people to say, what do I need to change? Because I've just experienced this loss, this change, this impact in my life. And I need to think about what I want to do differently. Why has this occurred? Yeah. So uh, when you look back at your
0: life, what are those moments for you and- and the first time we talked, we went over some of those, but if you did pattern interviewing on yourself, where would you see those, those,
1: those particular milestones or transition points? I think a couple going back to the earlier conversation was the experience I had in college and in the military. Both of those were uh, impactful and uh, traumatic in different ways that allowed me to reflect and persevere and decide this is something I wanted to do. This is something that was important to me and um, basically changed the way I felt about myself and my capabilities and abilities. Mm-hmm. So that's
0: one of them. Yeah. What are some others? I mean, what are the deaths that stand out for you in your life? Or what are, I mean, divorce we talked about in your first
1: one. Yes, and that was extremely traumatic. It was the experience that created the uh, divorce or was the genesis of it was very traumatic. And it was an experience or an episode where uh, uh, my trust relationship or the trust relationship with my wife at the time, was devastating to me because it was broken, and she had uh, had an affair with a good friend of ours. And uh, that particular experience was so impactful on me that the change that took place as I decided that I couldn't trust her anymore. And I wanted to move away from that relationship and look for something more solid and more meaningful. It wasn't necessarily a change in me as much as it was a change in direction. And uh, well, I should take that back. There was a change in me and that it was my inability to trust easily, to trust Holistically, 100% without constantly questioning, is this trustworthy? Is this worthwhile? Is this good? Yeah.
0: Now, is that something you feel has, has healed or gone back over time to being more trustworthy? Or, or do you think that's a wound that still exists?
1: I think over the last 35 years, it's diminished in intensity. Uh, there's no question I still look at things more skeptically or uh, questioningly, um, but to a large extent, it's it's modified. My lack of trust uh, or my ability to trust is in, in a, in, has increased dramatically over that period of time. I've healed, is to answer your question. Yeah.
0: Now, how about death? I'm, I'm curious about the impact your, your own mother's death or your aunt's death had on your life. And if that was a moment in which you recognized change um, in
1: yourself. Not necessarily, and I'll let me explain why. In both those cases, uh, or, uh, they were quite elderly. So it would be a natural process for them to die in their 80s. Uh, and so it wasn't ex- unexpected. It wasn't traumatic. It wasn't something that uh, I didn't see coming. And so uh, as a result of that, it was probably less impactful than it could have been otherwise. Um, as an example, if something had happened to one of my four sons or grandchildren, that would be traumatic because it's a not normal or it's not a normal part of the evolutionary process where people live till their, you know, seventies or eighties and then pass. Yeah. And so
0: when you look at, when you were evaluating people to hire them and you were using this model, was there any, you know, if this is the rubric for change, what were the patterns that you were
1: looking for or looking to avoid? I have a set of criteria or traits or characteristics I think are very important in any relationship, whether it's professional or personal. And so in the context of interviewing people or getting to know somebody, the characteristics or traits that I'm looking for are honesty, trustworthiness, initiative, stability, reliability those are the kinds of values that are important to me and a person has those characteristics trait traits to one degree or another some have all of them or many of them and can be demonstrated over their past and others lack that and um, i'll give you an example if if somebody is um untrustworthy and they've had uh a history of, of cheating or stealing or whatever the characteristic is, that tells you that that individual is probably less trustworthy than anybody else going forward. And so those are what I'm looking for. And the questions I pose or the observations I make during that interaction of the person's past leads me to a conclusion that they do possess them or do not possess those characteristics. Yeah.
0: It's just an interesting concept to me that, that we, if this is true, and I don't know how true this is, but, but that patterns, the patterns in our life are aided. We are aided in changing patterns in our life through trauma, through pain. And um, I think that's a powerful realization at an individual level because you can use those moments of pain or trauma then to make
1: changes that you want in your life. Absolutely. And that's one of the fundamental tenets of the pattern interviewing uh, and you can call it pattern interviewing, but really assessment of people's past experiences and traits. And uh, the ability to make change or enable them to make change. And, And those opportunities do not happen every single day. But when they do, they are very impactful, very emotional, and can be very damaging. But if looked at more objectively, very easy to say, difficult to do, and say, this is what's happened. This is why I hurt. This is why I am in pain. What can we do or what can I do that I want to make a change in me and it reflects, and impacts others as well.
0: Yeah. Now, what, I guess my retort to pattern interviewing, what it would be, you know, what if these people just need another chance or need to be not pigeonholed by your belief of how they're going to be or how they're going to act?
1: Um every individual deserves to have second opportunities or another chance using your terms. Um you just need to weigh and balance the risk that you take when you do that. Um one can never be a hundred percent sure that their assessment is accurate and will be demonstrated consistently. Um the analogy or the example I use when I talk about patterns is a horse race where you have a favorite who has all of the traits and characteristics of a horse that will win the race. But many times the favorite does not win the race. A long shot will come and, and win. Um, So using that as an example, you can, uh, make an assessment that this particular individual will be very successful or unsuccessful, but that is not 100% the case. You have to reach a conclusion and then decide whether you want to make a decision and risk it because the person's history does not say they will be successful, or you say, I want to be more conservative and pick people who have the traits to be successful. But even in that circumstance, and you pick a person who has all the traits in the past, there are situations where that individual will not be successful in the new environment.
0: Yeah. Now, up until this point, up until the point when we started talking about horse racing, it seemed like a very analytical process. And, and yet with this idea of exceptions, with the metaphor of horse racing, there enters this element of intuition. And as long as I've known you, you've seemed to me more than an analytical person, an intuitive person in the business deals that you take on and how you recognize an opportunity and decide to go for one versus the other in the people that you decide to, to bring into your closest team, the, to have to go to lunch with, to be in your executive team, the people that you started your companies with it, it it's felt or seen from the outside as this, this intuitive process. How would you respond to that? What's your
1: perception been? I think there's validity to that. Uh, and let me explain. Um, all of us have an autonomic nervous system, which means we have a natural reaction to people or individuals um, quickly established. For example, uh, when you see a uh, a beautiful person, you say to yourself, I like that person or somebody who's extremely charismatic. I like that person. And that's our initial reaction. That's intuition. And that's normal and natural. What I have typically counseled people on, I said, that's a valid reaction. It's very normal. It's very human. Put that in your back pocket and say, okay, that's a body of of input. That's my reaction. That's my intuition. But then balance that with the traits you can ascertain over a period of time because your initial reaction or your intuition is one aspect of the decision-making process. The second aspect that needs to be balanced is what is the track record or success? Because a beautiful person or a charismatic person can be very dishonest, untrustworthy, lack initiative, all the things we've talked about earlier, but because we're drawn to that person, we have a tendency to discount looking at the more tangible facts of the situation or experiences or traits. So it's balancing those two. Yeah. When
0: I heard you talk about this first, you had the example of Ted Bundy. I think who there's a popular Netflix documentary out about him right now who just by all accounts seemed to be this all American um, good natured human being, Um, charismatic, smiling, radiant, all of those things that you said, handsome and, um, and therefore was able to get away with these horrific things for so long and attract so many people into into sort of his web.
1: yes. Yeah, so that, that example that you uh, brought up is one that I use in communicating to our new employees, which I'm gonna be doing tomorrow, by the way, just by chance. And the Ted Bundy example is, is perfect because he was somebody that any one of us, male or female, would be attracted to. And uh, the fact that he was a serial killer uh, there was no way one could tell that or reach that conclusion through intuition. And they would have to understand and know his past in order to say, this may happen again to me. And um, so that's a perfect example of how our body and our psyche reacts to individuals that has nothing to do with the risk or the threat that that person may pose on us, either physically or emotionally. Because many of these people who are very charismatic or attractive can cause real emotional damage to you because of the traits that they've developed or what they really are or who they really are.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the, the, if we look at the profile of of a narcissistic person in psychological terms, oftentimes those people are considered quite enchanting and magnetic and they know everything that they have to do to entrance you you know they're, they're very highly
1: skilled in that yes and that skill set is as evolves and is developed over a period of time it's almost like acting they're able to put together the characteristics or project the characteristics that are like creating a web as you say and uh, they're very talented and and good at it hone skills over a long period of time that enabled to do just what you described
0: yeah now my experience has varied a little bit from what you talk about and what i and um what i mean by that is that i found intuition very reliable in this sense but it took me a lot of work to reach a level of intuition that was truly below my mind. And what I mean by that is that I can have an emotional reaction. I can have a physical, physiological reaction if my mind or my ego really likes the idea of someone. And that's where I tend to respond to charisma or a beautiful woman or a beautiful person or a successful person. My mind likes the idea of being a friend with them, but I have to actually listen to find my intuition. It's not that initial emotional, physiological reaction, um, it's something a little quieter. It's something a little deeper for me That that is that voice of intuition. It's in a different place in my body and neither says yes and no. And I've found that if I listen to that, it will align ultimately with those patterns. There will be an alignment of the actions of those persons and what my intuition was. I I find the only time I get into this zone of cognitive dissonance where my intuition saying one thing and their patterns are showing another thing is when I'm actually listening to my ego and the emotional response that is tied to, to those ideas of what I want and what I think I want and what I think I want to be. So it's just an alternative way of, of thinking about this. And I want to say it because I think it's important that that no one depends on one strategy that they hear here or somewhere else, but but they really tune into themselves and over time figure out what their own strategy is for making those best decisions.
1: And I think the last couple of phrases are worth digging into because intuition is not a state that doesn't change, it evolves. Your intuition and reaction to a beautiful person or a charismatic individual over a period of, of hours, minutes, days can change. Forget the patterns or habits that you may ascertain by digging into it, but your feelings, which are intuitions about a person, can change because you let it rest and you let it digest and it can evolve. So to your point, uh, it's not just in your head, it's a combination of your emotional reaction and your gut as well as your mental frame. So it can change, but it's still intuition as opposed to fact-based.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, for me, there's a distinction. There's a physiological response which is different than intuition. So I guess that's the, that's the distinction I want to make is that our ego can create a physiological response. Our expectation can create a physiological emotional response, which is still different than our intuition in my experience. And is also different than, than analyzing, than take, than truly observing something and
1: watching the patterns full unfold. Right. So, um, Just to be clear, my definition of intuition is something that happens almost innately, naturally, and fairly quickly. It's not something one ponders and processes over a period of time. That's much more analytical. And so, and the point I tried to make is that intuition initially is an autonomic reaction. It's almost, you can't help it because whether it's perceived because of a fantasy you might have, or whether it's you see something beautiful and you say it's beautiful, that's almost happens automatically over a period of time. You can look at that beautiful person and you can see the freckles or you can see the differences, uh, But that's less of what I call intuition as more of analysis or thought over uh, a period of time. So there's a distinction there. And so your definition of intuition is much broader than the one that I've used. Is much broader. Yours. In what way? Well, you're talking about how uh, your intuition... uh, is more than an initial reaction based upon a perception. It's more of it coming down to your regret and thinking about it, thinking about it and having- No, 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 no. No? To me, so
0: here, I wanna, in my life I'd have, I've, I've had to distinguish, we can be triggered by things people say or do and even subconsciously that for example, if our mother used to say something to us or our father used to say something to us, and then 20 years later, we are confronted with that type of person or that thing they used to say out in the world, our body can immediately have an emotional physiological reaction to that input. To me, that's not intuition, that's conditioning. It's conditioning that's happened so deeply that we're not even aware of that conditioning in a lot of respects. And we can become aware of that and we can slow that process down and we can change that process. But for me, that that oftentimes is louder and as subconscious as our intuitive response, which is also there, but which is a distinct voice, which is separate. So they happen concurrently, but they have different qualities for me. And And it's important for me to distinguish that because generally that emotional physiological triggered reaction that happened because of some trauma in my life is not true. You know, Uh, oftentimes it's not true. You know, that person didn't actually mean it that way. Right. You know, even when you and I are interacting sometimes, you know, uh, you say something that reminds me of a situation or where we fall into old patterns, you know, and that's not because, that's because you expect me to be the same person I was 20 years ago. And I expect you to be the same person you were 20 years ago, regardless of who we are today. And so we have, if we would change, want to change our relationship, we have to resist those subconsciously
1: ingrained patterns that we have. And I agree with that. Yeah. So let me go back and try and be a little more clear. Because all of us have experiences that have uh, created these emotional reactions to certain things or situations like the example you used. Um, There was a lady that worked for me many years ago who um, uh, did some apps terrible things to our business and to the relationships that we had in the company. And so she wasn't a team player. So when I meet people or see people that have similar characteristics or say the same thing, my reaction based upon that experience gives me a a reaction. It's not necessarily intuition based upon my uh, definition. It's based upon the patterns that have been developed that I see that are similar in this person or a situation that reminds me of something that happened to me. And so I have a reaction to that. It's not necessarily intuition. It's a reaction to something that happened in the past. That's very similar that I don't want to deal with positively. Yeah.
0: I just think it's, I think we're on the same page then, but there's that. I don't think a lot of people make that distinction when they think of their own intuition. I I didn't for years. People say, well, I don't, you know, I don't get a good feeling from that person, but they're not necessarily being honest with themselves about whether that's their stuff or that's the person.
1: Absolutely. Right,
0: whether that's their own baggage or that's their intuition.
1: That's correct.
0: And I think there is a qualitative difference, but you have to spend a lot of time and life experience feeling that difference.
1: The way I would say it is we all have our biases. We all have... Uh, those things that we don't feel good about or like. And those are generated by our own experiences and past. And so if we didn't have those, our intuition would just take over and be the dominant factor in making decisions. But because of our past experiences and those patterns and those biases have created, I may say, I don't like people who are... uh, African-American, or I don't like people who are Jewish, or I don't like people who are small, whatever the characteristic is, that may be because of an experience or experiences I've had over the past that have tainted me or impacted me negatively. Um, And so that's why I think in our society, these perceptions are created because of our own experiences, negative, that are very difficult to shake. And that generalization creates many issues that are hard to address and get underneath.
0: Yeah, but we have to, right? That's the work. Absolutely. Yeah. And You can't say stay stuck on those types of biases because one person of one type hurt you or flipped you
1: off once or scared you once. Exactly. And that's why I feel so strongly that the divisiveness that we have as a country or we have personally have to be addressed. They can't be put under the covers. They have to be looked at holistically as individuals in our society and say, look, I want to love, respect, and embrace every single human being. And I have to judge them individually and independently. It's very, you need to take those past experiences and put them behind you and give everybody, easy to say, difficult to do, give everybody another opportunity to prove them worthy, whatever that may be. And so instead of saying this person's bad or this person's good, you need to reserve judgment, reserve judgment and look at everybody objectively over a period of time and then reach your conclusion, which is basically what I was trying to say when I talked about pattern interviewing.
0: Yeah, well, I think we've we've done a good job on that subject then. I wanna talk about some of the relationships you had in your life um, that we didn't touch on last time, chiefly your relationship with your own father. And I'm wondering what the process has been for you in your life you know, maybe you can start with how you began to get to know him when he came into your life again, because he wasn't there when you were growing up. And I want to, maybe we can explore what this meant to you together.
1: So he became a uh, significant person in my life at the time I was graduating from college and uh, I got married and became a father because he wanted a relationship not only with me but my sons, uh, Mark and Craig, and my wife, and so he wanted that relationship. He had re- remarried, and so when he came back in, um, he was very nice and he was trying to endear himself to me, because, but I was resistant, I was uh biased because I had been hurt by what he did or didn't do in the past. It was very difficult for me to welcome him, to embrace him. You were resistant. You were angry. I was angry and, uh, it was more than anger. I was, uh, very disappointed that he was trying to quote invade my family, uh, without even asking, without even discussing, without even uh, addressing the hurt or the damage or the issues that had, uh, you know, been present over many, many years. Yeah. Did you you ever have
0: a chance to confront him on that? No, I
1: honestly didn't. Uh, At the time I was in my 20s and probably didn't have I was so focused on doing what I was doing. I just tried to minimize the perturbation, not only in my life, but also in the family. I wanted to make it as peaceful and calm as possible. So to use my own terms, I just sucked it up and just made the best of the situation I could, which meant I avoided he and his wife as much as possible. But when that wasn't possible, I made it as calm and comfortable for everybody as I could. When wasn't it possible to avoid that? Um, Well, on holidays or birthdays or things of that nature, when the kids were, you know, turning one or two or three and we had have a birthday party would be very difficult for me to say, no, you can't come or no, you can't be present. Right. So you had
0: that power, but you didn't, At the same time, you're resentful of him. At the same time, you didn't want him there. You also didn't want to rock the boat.
1: It wasn't not rock the boat. I didn't want to hurt him. Uh, And this is kind of a strange phenomenon, but I didn't want to hurt him and leave him out like he left me out. So I don't know whether it was a conscious forgiveness on my part as much as it was why hurt somebody unnecessarily? Yeah. And the hurt would have been, yeah. So you, the, the
0: hurt that you felt you didn't want to put on to him, you didn't want to put on to anyone in your life. Correct. Which was that, which was what? What was that hurt? What was that feeling that you had felt younger, I yes. guess, that you didn't want him well, to feel?
1: it was abandonment. Yeah. I felt like he didn't care. Uh, not only about me, but my mother and the family, he was all about him and himself. And uh, he wasn't there when I felt I needed him. and wanted him. And yet now he was here imposing himself when I didn't necessarily want him. But I could, you know, translate that and say, look, um, you're a better person. You need to just accept this and just be as be as compliant as and as good a person as you can be, and so that's what I tried to do.
0: You have an understanding of why he did the things that he did, why he would have not been there for you
1: um, based upon what I learned from him um I think that he was just the kind of person who wanted things his way, his time. And my mother didn't fit into that paradigm. And he met another woman and another woman. He was married three or four times total in his life. Um, And I, I just think he was constantly searching for a relationship that was good for him and not in my opinion, not considering the impact or the damage it was creating on other people, particularly his children.
0: Do you have a sense of how that changed for him and why ultimately
1: he came back? I think with age and time, I think he felt guilt and he was trying to ameliorate that guilt and reach out and demonstrate concern or love in his own way. But it was, uh, he was never the kind of person who would say, I love you or hug you or any form of, of sincerity, emotional connection. It was all about, well, do you want to go fishing? Or do you want to do this? As opposed to, you know, Gary, let's have a talk. Let's let's talk about what happened. The one moment I I can recall is when he was practically on his deathbed, he said, the most important person in my life was your mother. And that's having, and that's, you know, when he was in his eighties and he had not been with my mother for, you know, what, 50 or 60 years. Mm -hmm. But that was his, that was his position at that moment in time. I'm not sure he felt it much before that, uh, but it was his articulation of how that moment, that time in his mind was, important to him as, as he was facing death.
0: Yeah. Death, our own death, I guess, is often a time when we feel we have no choice, but to go
1: down those roads, those scary roads. Yeah. And I think, isn't that unfortunate that it, 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 you wait until that moment as opposed to expressing those along the way, when you have an opportunity.
0: Well, I think we're all afraid at some extent, we're afraid of the, the messiness, the conflict, the fallout. We're afraid of hurting people or being hurt. And, you know, and yet the messiness is where connection actually happens. The messiness is where vulnerability and um, intimacy exist.
1: I couldn't agree more. And that's why I think in our relationship in particular, that uh, that conflict, that messiness, as you describe it, is an important thing for us to go through to get to the other side, so that there's no hidden agenda. That it's all out in the open, and it's not it doesn't have to be uncomfortable because we can we can deal with it as adults, mm-hmm. which is easy to say. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, let's let's jump into our relationship. Uh, we, we meant to do this second part a few weeks ago and that didn't happen. And when it didn't happen, I received an email from you that said, you know, I'm, I'm sad or I'm sorry that we didn't have a chance to do the second podcast and resolve our unfinished business. I'm curious in your mind, in your world, what, what is that unfinished business?
1: Um, The unfinished business in my mind is to uh, communicate to you uh, the sadness I feel for the angst or the hurt that I have caused you because I feel terrible about it. And, uh, you know, saying that I'm sorry is just one part of it. I think we have to go beyond that. I don't know quite how to get there or navigate it, except that, it needs to be addressed so that you clearly understand that whatever has happened, I want to move through it not i do not don't wanna diminish its importance, but I want us to get to a better place,
0: yeah, what would that better place look like to you than where we're at right now today?
1: uh it would be uh, that you would. Accept what I've done in the past as just that, and not a intentional, purpose, purposeful act to hurt or diminish you in any way. And that I would try to change my behavior, which I, only I can control, so that that kind of situation doesn't continue or those incidents don't continue. Yeah. So
0: what do you need from me
1: to, to complete that work? Um, some guide, some path for us to get there. In other words, what do you think would be healthy for us to do or talk about? Uh, and, um, Because in this process, let me just go one step further. In this process, I feel hurt as well. Because if you hurt somebody, you have to take responsibility. And so I do take responsibility, but that's hurtful. And then some of the things that I get in response from you hurts me even more because I have the feeling that you don't respect me, you don't like me, you don't want to be with me. And that's hurtful because of my interpretation of what's going on. Yeah. So I guess let's
0: start there. I mean, you want a path or a a process or a guide for me, but this, you know, I don't, relationship isn't an arrival, right? It's, it's, it is a process. It is two people changing and yet choosing a level of intimacy together through the conflict, through the mess. And so I don't know what that path is, but, but I'm happy. I think I'm happy to hear, you know, I sent you an email. You, you sent, you did this beautiful thing. You sent me all these questions and I'm curious why, but you sent me all these questions about that said, Chase, have I betrayed you in the past? Chase, have I hurt you in the past and how, Chase, have I made you lose respect for me and how? And and I sent you responses. And I'd love to hear more about the nature of your hurt. So in response to that, you know, what is that thing that you feel? You know, you, to hear that makes you feel hurt, to take responsibility for that makes you feel hurt. Um I, I mean, is that guilt? what does hurt mean to you? Is it guilt? Is it sadness? Is it
1: anger? Is it something else? It's not anger. It's, um, it's disappointment because you want to have a closeness and a relationship that's healthy with the people you love. And if it's not healthy and it's not as positive as you would like it, it's disappointing And so I, uh, that's my definition of hurt in this particular example. It, you know, there's a number of definitions. The hurt I've caused you in the past or the damage I've caused you in the past is hurtful to me because I need, I can't just apologize for it. I I have to deal with it and I do. But I want to get past that and have uh, an honest, loving, positive relationship with you. And it's beyond my, ability to figure out how to do that well, easily. Yeah. I I think, you know, what's hard for me to
0: understand here is that for me, I think our relationship is better than it's ever been. And yet for you, you feel like we still need to arrive somewhere. For me, I, I feel very content with the new level of intimacy with the fact that we're confronting things instead of burying them like i feel like had been our family's modus operandi before this point in history and um and and so uh there's a disconnect there in terms of my reality and your reality of how things are today right um so i'm here to to hear more of that i want to hear more of of what we can do or how right. I could help you with that,
1: that hurt right. if I can. Um, well, let me just talk about a, a specific examples where I read between the lines, mm-hmm. for example, uh, you say, I choose not to be at your mother's birthday or at my birthday. Mm-hmm. And, That disappoints me because I don't understand why you wouldn't, because in my mind, if you said, I want you at your birthday, I would do everything in my power to be there. Right. And so that translation to me is, he doesn't want to be here because he doesn't like me, he doesn't respect me, or he doesn't love me. That's my interpretation.
0: Right. Yeah, I can't help you with that other than to say I respect you and I love you and I will always love you and I like you and I still may not be there. Okay? <laughs> See, because I'm living my life and because I just spent a month and a half here at your home with you and because the rest of the year I need to to put into my things and and I'm sorry if it doesn't align with your birthday. And it means nothing about how I feel about you.
1: Well, that's great to hear, but you can see how one can interpret that without this conversation.
0: Absolutely. That's the importance of conflict. That's the yes. importance of welcoming the conversation. Right. And, and, and I feel at a loss that I can't help you with that because I can't, I can't help anyone with how they're, they're, they're going to interpret my actions or words, especially when it's in a way that, is based on their own insecurities. Correct. You know, other than to be there when they want to have the conversation, other than to be open to it. Is there more that I could do for you than that?
1: Um, um, just when those situations occur, a more Honest explanation like the one you just communicated would be welcomed. More than just saying no. Yes. You want me to say what? You want
0: me to, you want, you're asking for reassurance. Yeah. Those things of respect and love. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what would really resonate with me is dad, you know, I love you or I respect you. I like you. It's just not right for me to be there because of whatever because of is. Yeah. That would have been huge. Okay.
0: Well, see, again, here we are. I can't read your mind. I have no idea what your needs are. I have no idea what you need to hear to feel good about it. I have no idea that you didn't feel good about it. You know, so, so the requirement for me, the ask I would have of you is when you're clear about what you need from me, or when you're clear about what you're insecure of, tell me. So that I can know, so that I can know in the future, so that I can know right. in that instant.
1: Right. Yeah. There's, and I understand that. Would it? Was my reaction? Would my reaction that I've described be surprised to you?
0: Um, it's not a surprise that you're disappointed. Correct. Um, it's a surprise of what you needed. Right. It's okay. it's news to me that you ne- what you needed was reassurance. It's a surprise to me that what you needed were these particular words. You know, all of that, uh, I couldn't have guessed. I could have spent a lot of time and energy trying to understand why you're disappointed with me. Um, or you could tell
1: me. Right. I, I don't think I was disappointed in you as much as I was disappointed in the fact that I felt that you didn't want to be with me on a time that was important to me mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand it. It was, uh, my disappointment, not of you, but I couldn't understand it. That's can you understand it now? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I do. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> what is it is that you are very, respectful and loving and feel good about me and our relationship, but it was a time that you wanted to be doing something that was important for you in your life's journey. Yeah. Is that correct? That is. Okay. And can you respect that? Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Cause
0: that'll often be my answer. What? Well, just that it doesn't feel right to me now or I'm in the middle of something else that feels important to me. And I have no other answer than that right you know right yeah
1: and that's good yeah
0: well that's how i'm trying to live and and obviously it's hard for a lot of people it has been beyond just you but um but i hope everyone can find that and and find a way not to take it personally
1: right it's hard though it's hard it's hard
0: for all of us not sure. to
1: take things personally right right it's hard for people uh who feel like the relationship that you have you want to be more intimate and closer so that when you are doing your life's journey, uh, you don't feel as connected. I don't feel as connected that I, as I would like to be because I would like to be more connected. What does that mean to you? Um, more intimate communication like the one we're having. Yeah. W- why? Has that not happened in our lives? Uh, Well, I think that uh, we're busy doing our thing, Mm -hmm. whatever that may be, yeah, and not taking the time to do what we're doing today.
0: Right. Well, whatever the case, I'm glad for the opportunity now, and I'm glad to hear that it's a priority for you now.
1: It's important for me. Uh,
0: I am glad to hear that it's important for you okay. as well.
1: Good. Yeah. Is uh, it important I mean, to you.
0: It's absolutely important to me. Okay. Um, that being said, it was important to me, you know, 20 years ago. Yes. And we weren't doing it then. Correct. And, and now in a very similar way that, that you described your relationship to your father, right. You know, now you're wanting all this connection. Now you're wanting all this time. Now you're learning new ways to communicate with me and tell me what you want in a time in my life when, when I'm on my way, when I'm investing in my new relationships. Not that the boat has sailed, but <laughs> but do you, yeah. do you see the the yes. difficulty at this point for me to yeah. now feel like oh now my father wants yeah now he wants to connect right. Why didn't he want to connect? Why didn't he want to have an intimate conversation when I was fourteen? With right, me? right. Um, so that's what I'm dealing with on this sure. side, and it's not that I don't want it. Right, it's what I've always wanted. Right, it's what I've always wanted. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to, to have these conversations.
1: Good. So you mentioned something earlier, uh, and and I, I just, you don't have to answer if you don't feel comfortable answering it, but. You mentioned that uh, our situation is not unique; that other people have reacted the same way about not understanding what, where you are, and where you're going, in the family, outside the family, or both. Um, in the family and outside the family.
0: I think I think I'd have to be having this discussion with mom, but I think her and I relationship has been strained in this similar way that she's interpreted a lot of my decisions as personal. Right. And um, and then I'd go beyond that and say, oh, many of my friendships have been affected as well. But I think that's the nature of changing ourselves. I think when we change ourselves, we require everyone around us to some extent to change. Everyone connected to us with these energetic chords of, of intimacy and connection, right. whether they're friendships or family. Because essentially, yeah, people have taken it personally that I've stopped doing the things with them that I used to do with them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: They take it as, I I don't understand. I don't know entirely. I can understand. I can understand why they feel that way. I don't know specifically in all cases why they don't like it or haven't liked it. Right. But it's, it's ended some of my relationships, but not in a bad way, not in a tragic way, just in the way of two people going their own ways. Right, right. With family, that's not always the option, right? Correct. With friends, it's easier. Because you say, well, what happened to that friendship? Oh, well, I don't know. He moved there. He got married and and started doing that. Or he found a new hobby. Right. You know, but when it's family and someone starts acting in a different way or going in a different way or living in a different place... There will always be that connection and you'll wonder why the intimacy isn't there anymore. You wonder right. why the thing that you had before isn't there. Right. You can't just say,
1: well. Right. But I think that uh, the common thread in the conversation is the need for in- intimacy and love and connect connection in our lives. And it's it, we all have that. At least I have it. I won't speak for you. And so it's the search for that connection or that love or that acceptance that I think is important for me. And it's more important for me with people I love and I want that with. Now, it can't always happen just because you want that kind of relationship with, you know, Mary Sue or John Jones will not make it happen unless it's reciprocal, Right. And so it's the reciprocity that is important to me. And even in families, it's not an absolute. It shouldn't always happen. It's not healthy. That always happen. It's sometimes healthier to disconnect or to change uh, direction um, as much as it is for friends. In other words, yeah. you, but I think what what I'm trying to get at is that we have to be, we have to set our priorities on who we wanna share our intimacy, love, and time with and connection and who we don't. And it will evolve and it will change. And to your point, why does Gary want this now? Because Gary is here now. And uh, does it make it right? Make it? Does it make the last 20 years better or worse? It's, it's the water under the bridge as far as I'm concerned. It's today going forward that I'm looking at. And, uh, and so it's that connection, that love, that intimacy, that connection with you that I want and, but it has to be reciprocal. And so, but the same with anybody out there in the world, those relationships are so important to me. Not a lot of them, very few, very few, but those are very important to me. And I'm working very hard at each one of those between now and the time I'm no longer here.
0: Yeah. While well, I honor that journey, Pops, Good. let me know how I can help. And I'm I'm so blessed that uh, you've been willing to have these conversations with me and go down this road.
1: Listen, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to it. Good. Good. We can do this sometime without microphones too. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think it's a great, it's a, it's a great way to start the dialogue. It is. It is. Well, I wanted to go to a potentially sensitive subject,
0: uh, with you, which, um, you can pass on or we can dig into, but, um, it's about sort of the things that we, we share with our family and with those close to us. And so last time we talked, you recounted the story about how you'd been sexually abused by one of your first bosses in an internship. And that was the first time, it may have been the first time you told anyone in your family about that. It was certainly the first time I had ever heard about that. And and I couldn't help but wonder why, you know, when we think about, well, I, I couldn't help but wonder why you hadn't said anything. Um.
1: Because... Nobody really opened the door and asked the question, and it wasn't top of mind. It happened so many years ago that it didn't seem important until the question was posed or raised. Yeah. Yeah. Had you told other people in your family about that? No.
0: No. Yeah. But I wasn't trying to hide it. Sure. I'm the same way often. I I don't presume that anyone wants to hear anything about my life until I'm
1: asked. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And uh, I don't recall this specific question, but I think it had to do with the trauma or important experiences in your life. And, you know, that's indelibly imprinted, but I, you know, nobody in the family has ever asked that question specifically. And if they had, maybe I'd responded to that, but
0: yeah, here's why I'm why I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful because I feel like as sons, we inherit so much from our fathers without words. We imitate their actions. We we almost at an energetic level absorb their fears and their their triggers essentially seem to be passed down to us, you know, whether that's through imitating action or some other otherworldly level of consciousness um and we're, we're beginning to see that on a scientific level in what epigenetics is showing is, is certain stresses and stressors are being passed down to children through mothers and even fathers into the child at birth and so in psychology it's becoming important and it, this has been true for a long time in spiritual practices but to understand the traumas of the family, the traumas of the family that came before to, to become aware of why we think or why we feel certain ways. And, and that's been tied even to, you know, a great grandfather dying of drowning and the child having an unreasonable phobia around water. You know, there have been studies or occurrences at least anecdotal, um, observational studies on these topics with all of that said, I mean, are there other traumas or things in the history of your family that, that seem notable? Uh, Uh, For example, I'll give you one example, which is what just to, as fodder, which is I found out recently that someone in our family had committed suicide and and i had just gone through a period of being suicidal myself and to have that knowledge was um changed things for me a little bit didn't necessarily give me an excuse but allowed me to look at at things in a different way um which I think is powerful if we can begin to look at things as not ours we can be- begin to not identify with every thought or every pain or every hurt that we have if we can begin to identify things as outside of who we are outside of our identity and so with that as the intent or the purpose mm-hmm. what is there anything else that you'd you'd share or talk about it doesn't have to be you it could be before you or mm-hmm. someone
1: else in the family well there are two or three other family-related or personal experiences that I had. One was uh, my brother, uh, when he had been rejected by a woman in his life, decided that he was going to kill her and commit suicide. And this is when I was about 11. And he would have been about 22, 23, approximately. So he had this gun, loaded gun, and he was wandering around the town, Modesto at the time, searching for this woman. And he came by our house. And of course, all of our family went into hysterics when this happened. And so it was a very traumatic experience. And so the police were called and he was uh taken into custody and that was a particular episode that uh was i think important to share because he was so devastated because of this rejection she was going to go off with another man and he was not going to put up with it and so the um, it was you know it was Very erratic and very traumatic for everybody in the family, particularly for an Um, 11-year-old. And then the other experience, which is much tamer, and I've shared this with you before, is that when I was very young and I was at Santa Cruz, I was taken out into the ocean. And I was down there, which seemed like hours, but was probably seconds and as a result of that, I have a phobia about water. I have a, for a hard time putting my head under water to this very day. Yeah. And so those are two experiences that I think that I have shared or haven't shared that uh, I think can explain kind of occurrences that might be impactful on not only me but other members of the family, or be interesting to know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Well, I, I had a similar experience being dragged out at Santa Cruz also by the undertow when I you was did? a young child. Yeah, yeah. You don't remember that? Was I there? No. M- mom had both of Justin and I, and the two of us were both dragged out, um, and she had to come and rescue both of us. You what? don't know this story? No. Oh, gosh. Where have you been, Nellie? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How old were you? Do you remember? Gosh, probably... Four and six or five and seven so wow. young. That was really young. Yeah. Um, fascinating that we both had that experience in a similar place. But at least you can put your head underwater now. Yes, I, I absolutely love the water. I'm, I'm deathly afraid of sharks and the idea of sharks. But other than that, the water is my happy place, especially sure. under the water. Good. Um, not necessarily in a riptide. tide, yeah. Or in a choppy break. Right. Or breaking over coral. But right. you know.
1: <laughs> right. Swimming pools and uh kua bay beaches and stuff like that. So aside from that experience, what has happened in your life that is significant and trauma in, induced in you that has changed you in one way or another? Well, I
0: think I think my injuries, I'm still changing and recovering from um, so having my my kneecaps dislocated and then numerous times and the subsequent surgeries and then getting hit by a car and having to reconstruct my ankle and then um, having my ribs broken and and losing consciousness and so these there's sets of physical, injuries that happened essentially from the age of 14 to 24 um, almost every two years that, gosh, it, it's, a, uh, you know, in the beginning it was this shift in understanding the fragility of life and, and the physical form. And then, and that was with the first few injuries. And then, you know, and I think the thing that I battle even now today is this fear and this certainty that if I do anything physical, I'm going to end up hurt, that I can't trust my body, that I can't trust the world not to pull the rug out from under me. Um, So that's, that's the work that's still happening as a result of those things, similar to the, the loss of trust that you felt after your divorce. And then And then the other part of that, I mean, I had this profound experience that has completely, I think, set me on the trajectory I've been on up until this point when I had my ribs broken and passed out at that lacrosse game where you were videotaping, I've I've seen the footage. But um, essentially in that moment, I had an out-of-body experience. I was watching the coaches run out to my body. You know, my, my essence was outside of my body and I'm watching the coaches run out. I'm looking at my body. And, um, and that was the first time in my life I began to consider something larger than us. You know, I grew up in the Bay area and, um, and sort of progressive Marin County is where I went to high school. And I think it was a, uh, it was an environment that felt very, um, what do I want to say? It, it, it really belittled and was contemptuous towards, at that period, in that moment in time, towards religion. And so it was very materialistic and mechanistic in, in many senses. You know, you could say there are a spiritual group there, but when it came to the idea of, of religion or God, that seemed like a dangerous place to go. Um, and so, uh, up until that point, I had been very mechanistic myself thinking that science and rationality and the dogma of science of that time was everything. And so that was a moment in my life in which I just had an entire opening that said, well, my experience of life doesn't, no longer fits in this mechanistic model that i've been that i'm being sold in school that i've been sold in school that this community is trying to sell me and so i have to find my own understanding of the world and and that has really guided a lot of my journey and then since that point my, my other growings have been have been really around uh a heartbreak you know unrequited love um has has led me into, or been a part of my journey into really deep depressions, into a lot of darkness, and and coming out of those periods has been significant moments of change in my life, leading to to me hiking the PCT and moving to Idaho and leaving software in the Bay Area behind, and then um, and then the most recent one leading to, you know, really me questioning who I am and what I want from my life and what I want in relationships and leading to a project like this and some of my more meaningful writing projects. And, and so, you know, each of these things has come into my life and, and given me something in different ways. And to your example, cha- allowed me to change, to see the change or feel the opportunity to change, or in most cases, feel the desperation that has required me to change.
1: Right. So what in today, in this moment, is your vision for you and relationships, just specifically relationships, Mm -hmm. not what you want to do professionally, not what you want to do spiritually, but what you want for you in relationships. Yeah, I
0: don't. I don't have a vision of relationships. You know, I've found vision to be wholly unreliable in my life, a sort of setup up for expectation and disappointment. Whereas I can tell you the qualities that I want, I can tell you the level of int- oh, we can talk about the level of intimacy that I want, the types of conversations I want to have, the type of person that I want to partner with in a romantic relationship, you know, would be one who values this kind of conversation, who is looking at their past relationships is learning from each of them, who is owning their own emotional response, you you know, and um, not projecting that onto me and vice versa. Um, So there are all these qualities that I've learned that are healthy for me, but I'm, I'm not going to think about what kind of, you know, is that a monogamous white picket fence relationship or is it something else? Is it something more fluid? I'm really just trying to focus on those values that seem to align with me in, in relationship and in my own life. Right. And I mean, I, I don't think I can think about relationship, the vision of relationship without considering the vision of geography, without considering the vision of career. Cause all those things will weave together into some story that I can't even imagine at this point, which will probably be grander than any vision I could have anyway. So day by day, moment by moment, week by week, it'll build into a beautiful
1: life. Oh, well, that's exciting to hear. Uh, and that, I think gives me a frame of reference as it relates to a romantic relationship. But being very selfish in our relationship, I will just say that um, I want to be connected with you. I want it to be important, and I want it to be intimate. Uh, it doesn't have to be constant. It doesn't have to be frequent. But when it's there, I want it to be intensely intensely felt as it's an important relationship for me. I hope it is for you. It is. And always has been and always will be. Wonderful.
0: And we'll work to figure out what that means for, for us, what intimacy and connection
1: means. Good. So if we can work on that. And whatever you decide that you're going to do romantically, I will just say, because you're an important part of my life, I wish it to be what you want when you want it with whom you want it. And let's leave it at that. Thanks pops. Great talking with you. Great talking with you. Let's do it again soon. Okay. I love you. Love you too. Okay. This has been great.
0: Wow. That guy's a courageous dude. I appreciate him going toe to toe with me over many topics that I know for him were difficult to discuss there were times there when we weren't on the same page. I wasn't hearing his questions. I wasn't hearing his statements right. and I felt like he was doing the same thing. And it feels like with our family, sometimes there's this dance that we do where we get in these patterns of, of thinking we know what they're saying. And, and so we're not actually listening. And I hope you saw some of that and, and can reflect on that as I'm going to as well, but overall I was super happy to connect with the old man and hopefully it was an inspiration for you as well in your own life. Our challenge to you is to write down some reflections on how your own father defines hurt and where that definition comes from. If you're still lucky enough to have your father around, go ask him for clarification on what that means to him and why it means that to him what experiences in his life define hurt all right thanks as always to alicino for the music alicino.it is where you can find him thanks to no sin records for the production of this beauty thank you you for listening now get your ass out there and love somebody